This podcast is sponsored by Bombfell. Open and close. Get $25 off your first purchase by visiting bombfell.com slash G-O-T. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash G-O-T. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're talking about Season 8, Episode 3 again. Again, we're talking about it. This time, it's the spoiler edition. Uh, Aaron, what do we have today? Uh, spoiler, my opinion on the episode is largely unchanged. Um, I So, like I said on the, the instant take... Um, it's a lot to think and absorb, and as a book reader and a, and a, and a show watcher, both, um, I, and as someone who spent a lot of time invested in thinking about the, the intricate plot that we've got here, it was a lot to think about, and I thought, you know what we should do? We should call our old buddy Kim Renfro, because uh, she's kind of got similar amounts of investment as us, and she's even, I think, usually got her, her um, ear closer to the ground on the production side. Uh, and I kind of wanted to see uh, what she thought, so we're going to do that right now. All right, joining us uh, from Los Angeles uh, here in our humble studio in Cincinnati is Kim Renfro, who is an entertainment correspondent for Insider, and you probably recognize her voice because she's been on a couple podcasts the last few seasons. Welcome back to the show, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. Super stoked to be here. So we set up this because we we know we wanted to have you on our show again because it's always fun. And we we're talking <laughs> about like, oh, what's which episode should we do? And we're we everyone knew that like the third episode is going to be this big battle and there'll be lots of deaths and we can kind of commiserate on which ones are the most impactful ones and imp- and impact the plot. And then we saw this episode and uh, you know Jorah's death. Uh, how that that just blows holes in all kinds of in-game Game of Thrones theories, uh, <laughs> and uh, Ed, Ed, I mean, how many how many theories were based around Dolores Ed? Uh, so many. <laughs> the nine hundred and ninety ninth Lord Commander. Yes, yes, <laughs> that was yes. A nice watch. Yeah, um, yeah. Theon Theon got to me a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. I was overly prepared for theon to die yeah. like i saw that coming miles away same right. with jorah so like yeah. as great as i think that scene was yeah i i didn't quite i didn't get like the gut punch from most of the other deaths i was prepared for like brienne or podrick even how the heck is podrick Payne? right still my <laughs> yeah, sweet pod on, on the on the front on the front lines no less uh, i i so i i started thinking and i'm thinking um up until this episode, I had like kind of like some unshakable ideas about how the end of Game of Thrones would relate to the end of the book series, which is this is the, our spoiler cast. So there's like, you know, you could talk about the books and the lore and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I hung my hat on ideas like, OK, Valonqar prophecy, not in the TV show, but everything but the Valonqar part is in the TV show and they are you know the, the, like, the, like the idea that someone who would kill Cersei would be different from the books to the TV show was just completely like mind blowing to me like I just, I just didn't count on it um, but now after I see that instead of going through any kind of like deeper kind of like book prophecy that would guide who might end the, the menace of the others the White Walkers the Night King that they went with Arya, which is a valid 
a valid option, um, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's the direction from the books. I'm starting to wonder... Is this final season just Dan and David riffing on on Martin? How many of those bullet points are intact in their eyes? Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, Kim? Yeah, I I think one of the biggest questions I had going into this season was definitely how the show was going to tie up all of these loose ends and which one of those would track with. George's story Mm -hmm. I also was like very prepared for how divisive that would be but like we can get into that in a bit but yeah it's interesting because both Benioff and Weiss and then Martin himself have like talked at length about that meeting they had back in you know where they met up in Santa Fe and he told them sort of like the general outlines but there's so many there's so many weird caveats to that. I actually just was reading a Time magazine interview that Benioff and Weiss did in 2017, where they said, quote, certain things that we learned from George way back in that meeting are going to happen on the show, but certain things won't, end quote. And like, I don't know that I had ever really registered that before or necessarily seen that. And it's kind of surprising to me that, yeah, that this major battle of Winterfell that, you know, season eight hyped up you know, HBO's entire official trailer was all about this battle, basically. And the cast and crew have been talking about it for ages. And then, like, for almost all of that to feel like it was not part of George's plan whatsoever is really surprising. And I think that that's part of why we're seeing such, like, a sort of, like, whiplash in the fandom right now. And people just, like, don't really know how to process that. What did you think of the decision to have the Arya be the the uh, the night killer, the the night ender? It definitely shocked me. Like I did not think the Night King was going down in this episode at all, let alone at Arya's hands. But oh. I don't, I don't dislike it. Um, it fits. Of all the characters that they had alive and fighting, she's by far one of the most trained and skilled who would have been able to go up toe to toe against any of the white walkers. Um, It's really interesting to me that Benioff and Weiss admitted that they decided that like three years ago, Uh um, which was around when the sixth season was in production. Mm -hmm. I also, I've like, I've kind of pinpointed that to something else that they said around season eight, which was when they had Cersei blow up the sept of Baylor at, the season six finale, mm-hmm. they said in in the like inside the episode segment after that, they said, Weiss said, at this point in the story, we're trying to play with the pieces we've got on the board. Mm-hmm. And the wildfire was something that we had on the board. And so I think that they just did the exact same thing with Arya, where they were like, okay, we have to get rid of the Night King and the army of the dead somehow. So they like invented this rule that if you kill a white walker all the whites that it reanimated fall to so like that was their solution so now they just needed one person to get to the white walker and then i think that they looked around at all the players and just landed on aria and i don't necessarily agree that picking aria because it's like surprising is the best logic mm-hmm. but she's also not the worst choice that they could have made. You pointed because we were doing a little like a kind of pre-show conference and you mentioned that it's interesting that uh, they went with something that's entirely contained within their show universe, like Melisandre in a show only prophecy uttered the, like you're going to shut brown eyes and green and blue forever. And then 
you know, they, they instead of all the different uh, prince that was promised, princess that was promised, Azora High, the last hero, all the different mythologies and prophecies that seems like Martin was setting up to kind of predict who was going to be the last hero or the princess promise is going to, the, you know, the, the end, the long night, the long night part two, they just decided to stay within their universe. And like, Hey, you know what we was, do you, do you think that that was like a safety? Cause I like that, that prophecy was well before season six. Um, yeah. Did you think they created that as like, well, if George gets another book or some more bullet points and, and, and it fits, we can always go with that. But Hey, we've got, the Arya shutting the blue eyes forever in her back pocket. And she's a super trained supernatural assassin. This is, this, this is our, this is our get out of jail free card that we're embedding in our own universe. Uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I think that I can see the case for that argument, but like my gut check there is that like they, they changed up the Edric storm, storyline so they had gendry be like the child instead that melisandre needed they stuck melisandre in the riverlands and like wrote in a kind of cool scene with her and Arya. like ev- like brown eyes green eyes and blue eyes those are just the color that people's the eyes, color eyes that people have like <laughs> yeah. i think that i think that that was them transcribing her future as like a faceless man and all the people that she was about to kill because she already had a couple notches on her kill belt but she didn't really start diving into that until after the red wedding yeah. and in season four her numbers were um, ballooned her stats her stats ballooned after that uh, <laughs> that season yeah um and i think that you're yeah what you said was spot on which is that like they you know to to take their analogy like they looked at the pieces on the board and they specifically chose those two two scenes that they had invented for the show for Arya, like the Melisandre scene, but also that quote from Sirio Farrell is not in the books. Right. He doesn't. He never says there is only one God and His name is Death, and there is one thing we say to Death, not today. Right. Um, Benioff and Weiss have talked about that also. There's like a there's a book that HBO put out in 2012 called Inside Game of Thrones. They really need to mix up. <laughs> what they call all of these uh-huh. segments because it's like inside the episode the game revealed inside game of thrones but anyways <laughs> there's this book and uh benioff in that he's asked what scenes or dialogue he was most proud of writing and he specifically said that serial pharrell moment um because he thought that that was like a perfect showcase of how collaborative game of thrones was because like george r, r. martin invented aria aria and Sirio, but he didn't write that specific scene. It was one of their other co-writers, I guess. Her name's Jane Espenson, um, wrote that scene in for Arya because it was like her way of kind of dealing with the fact that Jory and her father had just been attacked by Jamie Lannister's men. And then Benioff was the one who write who wrote the dialogue about death. So I think it was very intentional that they picked the things that they had already invented and that were that belonged to them much more than it belonged to George as their big final moment for the night King thousand dollar question. Uh, do you think they are staying away from Martin's material out of respect to give him room to do it? Or do you <laughs> think this is kind of a little bit of a, Okay, well, you left us with because, uh, like you said, um, are they spite writing? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, like I, I've said, I mean, it's, I was like, yeah, like the double D's did not sign up to write shitty Mar- George Martin fan fiction. 
right. they they signed up to adapt in grand lavish style one of the premier science fiction fantasy series that had been written thus far uh so do you think some of is this like uh like give the old man time uh, room to maneuver or you think it's kind of like you know what fuck you old man you didn't you didn't take out the trash and now we're doing it for you and you can't complain how we do it i highly doubt D and D have ever thought fuck you george <laughs> at any point in their lives you don't think so i mean i Here's the thing. I, I think that I think that was said multiple times. The first writer writers room they met, and they were out of book material. <laughs> I I don't know. I think if I was in their position, I would be way more like bummed than mm. angry. Like that's the thing. This entire situation is just one giant bummer. Yeah, it's like, unfortunate. George is bummed. I'm sure HBO was kind of bummed. I'm sure Benioff and Weiss are bummed all the fans are super bummed from what i can see on twitter in the last 72 (laughs) hours like this isn't how it was supposed to happen and i think that that just sucks yeah and i think that this episode was just the start of that kind of like reckoning that we're about to all go through oh god so there's such like a sense of ownership i think from people who've invested Mm -hmm. so much time uh, and so much of their emotions in George's writings. And now to see that on screen without him there, I, mm-hmm. I have to imagine that feels very bad for people who've read these books. Right, because it it feels, especially with like the Aria choice, it feels like Benioff and Weiss just opted to toss out all of the intentional foreshadowing that George had telegraphed yeah. into the earlier seasons. And go with their own version of what they thought would be coolest or most surprising. Like that's what bothers me about their reasoning. They're like, Oh, John was too obvious. And I'm like, John was only too obvious because his entire arc was like centered around the fight against the white walkers and like the night King. So I don't know. I don't necessarily agree that like not having him be the one to do it, was the best solution just because they wanted to like yes, surprise people yeah, especially in mm-hmm. light of like kind of like game of thrones is in large part a reaction to george's childhood fandom of lord of the rings right and lord of the mm-hmm. rings say what you will like it was obvious the frodo was going to complete his mission like that's what everyone expected it was subverted when he actually couldn't because he was overcome by the power of the ring and his chief nemesis in the series his greed uh, and equal competition for the power of the ring led him to bite his finger off and tumble backwards in the lava. And that's like one of the greatest, most satisfying moments of all time. It feels like the double D is like, well, if John or Danny do this, it's going to be expected. So we just have to swerve. Like, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not mad that Ari did. I do wish it was a little bit more of a combined arms affair. Like it would have been nice mm-hmm. if somehow Brand's warging, Danny's dragons, and John's Valerian steel and Arya's assassin abilities would come together so where it's like oh the because like the other thing that was kind of neat about the prince was promised is like there was a little bit of flavor from all the different cultures from the world of ice and fire right like Essos tradition had this Westerosi tradition had this the first men said like there are all these different legends so it could be that like everyone was right and there's like four princes and princesses that were promised they all came together Captain Planet style to take down this guy and no it's just like literally everyone else was ineffectual Danny had to be saved. John couldn't even fucking kill the one dragon. Bran was just 
I don't know, <laughs> watching weirwood porn the whole time. And, and Arya <laughs> puts on her, you know, uh, pulls up her her big girl pants and kills the Night King. And like you said, it's fine. It's just like it l- completely leaves out. So do you, so so one thing you said this kind of poured uh, cold ice water down my spine is the <laughs> idea that we are ready for we need to gird ourselves for a recalibration of all of our end expectations because up until you said that i was thinking well okay night king double d invention uh aria you know this prophecy double like now that it's done the rest of the stuff with cersei and king's landing that might go kind of according to the plan but you're saying that like i mean yeah there's no evidence that that's that's true no and I also think it's very interesting that, like, Benioff and Weiss used to, they would tell us when something happened that George had told right, them. Like, like Shireen like burning. Hodor. And Hodor. Yeah. They were straight up like, oh, when George said this, we were surprised. Right. They, they said in advance of this season that they aren't going to do that this time around, which makes sense, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. Like... I don't know. I, it's a lose-lose situation, again. Right. Big, big fat bummer is like the tagline i think for what's happening um so i don't know like i think that what's gonna drive me bananas and a lot of fans bananas is that we aren't going to know if what we're seeing (laughs) was the plan so the double d's have said that they're not because like i understand the reason for that because if they change stuff and people love it then it makes george look bad if they change stuff and people hate it then it looks like that uh you know, it makes them look bad if uh, like like it seems like they're throwing themselves or George under bus. So just like, let's just not talk about it. But you're right. The uncertainty is kind of maddening because as a fan, it's like, you know, should I stay invested in this stuff? What's going on? You know, like, uh, am I looking forward to Winds of Winter coming out? I'm looking forward to Dream of Spring. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that what by doing that, they are leaving us open to like experience George's story fresh and to potentially be completely surprised by it if or when he he's going in a completely different direction i just i like yeah i feel really in the woods right now with these final three episodes like i i don't feel like i have a handle on what's going to happen which is a very unusual feeling for me in this show i've spent most like 98% of my time watching this show feeling very confident that I knew what was going to happen next, either because of leaks, but also just because I felt like I had a good understanding of where the story was headed and like certain character beats that were going to be met. And this episode just kind of tossed a lot of that out the window and it's disorienting. Is it, is it a bad disorienting or is it exciting? Because as a show watcher only, I've been in that position the entire time. Uh, yeah. and, and to me that, you know, those possibilities are exciting, but as a, as a book reader, I can imagine that would be a little frustrating. I think if I was, a, I think if I was just like watching the show to watch it, I would be super excited. And it's, it is kind of exhilarating to be like, whoa, uh, like we have almost four hours left of this show. That's going to be probably like some of the best most well-produced television in history and i don't know what's going to happen that's cool if the thing that makes it not cool is that it's my job to (laughs) to write about this show Uh and to like come from a more like expert perspective and 
it's that's like adding a lot of stress right now to my experience with the show because it's it's just it's unsettling and i also just like personally i hate being wrong about things (laughs) and so i'm like oh my god i was so wrong about everything that i thought was gonna just happen in that battle and i hate being wrong yeah i mean to your point like i i kind of agree that like i don't think i'm as high as 98 percent, but most of the times when a show would deviate from where i thought george was going like in hindsight i'm like okay i understand why they're doing that because obviously they just can't there's not enough time to do this plot, so they're going to have to simplify. And this is a pretty smart way to simplify. This is just just different for par- for seemingly the sake of being different. Uh, right. And it's also weird because the show has been invested in a lot of these prophecies and and uh, the th- paying off things like John being a secret Targaryen, and then mm-hmm. for them to swerve on this big thing. I don't know. It's it's a weird intentional thing that I don't understand exactly the intention behind it. Uh, and it's going to be, yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think is actually going to happen? Because I, the same way, like all these grandiose thoughts about like, okay, well, here's the Valonqar and it's probably going to be one of these three people. And it's, it's probably going to end in some, it's, it's, you know, the, the iron throne is going to look like this and it's going to be reformed to be the, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't honestly don't. I mean, I still think it's going to have a happy-ish ending. I don't think Cersei's going to win. Uh, but other than that, no clue. I don't even know if they're going to pay off the Clegane Bowl. (laughs) <laughs> that's I feel like that's the one thing that I'm like, oh, OK, if the hounds survive the Battle of Winterfell <laughs> and they're all heading south. Right. Like, right. That's the one thing that I'm hoping I'm but, still but, you know what I'm saying? Partially like, right about. Th- I'm hanging my hat on because the hound basically went right yeah. up to the, uh, the mountain and said, you, me, Clegane Bowl next season. But right. They also talked about the prince that was promised and the princess that was promised and all that stuff in the same. So like. I don't know. Like if if it, like in the eighteen months off, they looked at themselves and say, you know what, that'd be kind of cool, but who cares? And it's going to get in our way of doing something else cool. I have no faith that they are going that they see that as a promise uh, that mm-hmm. they need to keep and fulfill. If they think that they can go do something in their minds that's equally cool, and I guess that's where it's like I don't know that I have faith when double when when Dan and David say this is going to be something equally as cool that that will be equally as cool to me because I'm kind of right. mixed track record of that stuff. Um, yeah. I, I I would say the one thing that I've kind of come to terms with on the prophecy is that like I I can see the case to be made for like that that thing that Melisandre said on season seven where she's like I've brought fire and ice together right. like my job is done for now or whatever and then right. fucked off to Essos for apparently yeah no reason uh-huh. um like like the 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 entire stand against the the White Walker army and the Night King wouldn't have happened without Daenerys and Jon. Like Arya sure. would not have been able to get to that no, you're right. moment in the Godswood mm-hmm. if Jon hadn't like convinced Daenerys to bring her armies north and like fly around on dragons. So I think that they did kind of play a part. I agree that like I wish Jon is my favorite character mm-hmm. and I get so bummed out that he keeps not actually getting a follow through like hero moment. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he's really done anything awesome since hard home. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing cool things, but he always gets saved at the last minute. And with the dragon, I was like, here we go. We're going to get like quintessential mm-hmm. fantasy hero stuff because right. John's about to slay a dragon and that's going to be really awesome. And then like he screamed in the dragon's face and mm-hmm then it collapsed like, didn't even kill it. like if he, he just killed if he just managed anything. to kill it with his valerian steels that i still would have felt like that would have been a moment um yeah okay 
One thing I found out a couple months ago that you and I have in common is we were both working on Game of Thrones book projects in the off season. Uh, yeah. I was going to catch to catch up with you. How's that going? Uh, what are is there any details you're comfortable talking about? And uh, when when can people look for it to be released? Yeah, totally. So my book has a title and a cover, and you can even pre-order it right now. Um, so it's called the Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones, and I'm about like. 75% done with it. I wrote as much as I could during the off season. And then obviously as, because it, it encompasses all eight seasons of the show, uh, I'm now writing as I go for these final episodes. Um, but yeah, you can pre-order it right now, um, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and IndieBound. If you have like a local bookstore, you can call them and pre-order it. It's going to be out officially on October 8th. Um, so it's a paperback book, 1999, pretty uh reasonable price i think for what's pretty much a complete comprehensive start to finish look at the show um and how it was made but also like you know my signature insider articles are like all the details that you might have missed um so i literally go through the entire season and i just i picked my favorite one from every episode because i was like i could write a 500 page book about all the layers um so, so it yeah. encompasses like the filmmaking the production post-production uh the whole shooting writing all that all that i have chapters on like the score and the costumes and some of like like the locations um it was actually pretty fun i got to interview one of the women who works for the northern ireland tourism uh board and just like about how you know game of thrones completely changed the entire economy of northern ireland um wow. so that was pretty cool uh but then i then i sort of i move into my own like editorializing and like analysis of the series um and different aspects of it i have a whole section right now on john and danny and the prince that was promised and i uh have to rewrite that it's gonna have to be heavily <laughs> revised you're right yeah i was deeply wrong um so yeah I, I unfortunately are my our, my book uh released before the season so I can't I can't go back and do any control Zing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh well thanks for coming on I'm excited to uh see what the the, the book when it comes out Thank and you. I appreciate all the work that you do uh on Insider for not just show but uh, you've been so solid for a lot of the shows we've covered like Westworld um did you do were you also on mr robot doing mr robot type no stuff? um what was the other one i'm I thinking did, of i did dark uh which of course that's coming back in june and i was like can you not release this show <laughs> <laughs> right after game of thrones yeah i have things to do um yeah all sorts of stuff but thank you that means a lot that's uh, really awesome thank well, you for having me too this no, is always fun no hopefully we can uh we can uh, coordinate and collaborate on some stuff in the future but thanks for stopping by yeah, I'd love that. Kim Rin for everybody. Guys. You can find her on Insider. Uh, check out especially her Game of Thrones work and be looking for her, her book, the unofficial, un, you say it's unofficial guide to yeah. Game of Thrones? Yeah, the out, unofficial guide to Game of Thrones. Out October 8th and available for pre-order now. Before we get to feedback, just want to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Bombfell. And guys, when it comes to clothes, looking acceptable is pretty easy for us. We just go khakis and button downs for work, suit and tie for wedding and funerals, and jeans and t-shirts are pretty much everything else. But what if you want to do more than look acceptable? What if you want to look good? What if you want to look, dare I say, great? Finding a great style that suits you and complements your coloring and shape is tough, and who can keep up with it? 
Well, Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. It's fully personalized. Every piece has been handpicked for you by your own stylist. Your stylist will email your, their selections, after which you have about two days to make any changes or even cancel altogether. Then you receive the clothes. You have seven days to tell them what you want to keep, and then you can send the rest back. You can receive clothes when you want and pause and cancel at any time. For the clothes you keep, they've got a tiered reward system. If you keep two plus items, you get 10% off. Three plus items, 50% off. Four plus items, you get 20% off. The more you keep, the more you save. I signed up for Bombfell and was matched with Melissa as my stylist. After selecting styles that best represented me from dozens of options and inputting my sizes, Melissa set me up with a nice outfit consisting of pants, a long tee, and a pullover. And I liked them all, but I actually had a Henley in almost exactly the same color and style as the tee, so she substituted a cool kind of refugee from Zion in the Matrix kind of top. Just a few days later, I was trying on my new fit. I gotta say, not only did I enjoy the more dapper, dork look that I had, but I received quite a few random compliments. Everything fit excellently and was comfortable enough for a full day at the studio, too. Bombfell has given us an exclusive deal for listeners of Bald Move, so you can get $25 off your first purchase. Just visit bombfell.com slash G-O-T. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash G-O-T. No promo required. Just visit bombfell.com slash G-O-T. That's Bombfell. Open and close. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked. And they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Let's get to feedback, Jim. As always, you can send that into Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or discuss it with your fellow fans on forums.baldmove.com as well. Uh, a couple things, I guess, before I get to feedback, feedback, there's a th- some, some things that I collectively wanted to talk about um, because there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of variations of the theory that things aren't over with the Night King. Okay. Um, Is this wishful thinking on the part of of fans of the series or is this, does this have a lot of weight to it? I, well, that's the thing. Some of them do. Like, I, I, I'm going to consider a couple of them. Um, some of them, I think maybe like, I know I, I honestly, after, because the thing <laughs> okay. is, is like this, th- these things don't occur in a vacuum. And as you, if you've, you heard for like our conversation with Kim, uh, like I, after that, I'm actually even more on the side of like the double D's are just going to do their own thing this season, have some fun, do some spectacle and, and, and spectacle and get the hell out of here so they can get onto their star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Um, but I so no I think that if 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 in a universe where like the behind the scenes of of um like episodes of Game of Thrones don't exist and you can't hear their own words saying you know this is what we wanted to do and we wanted to subvert this and this is what we thought would be cool then maybe but like we do live in that world so I don't find it very persuasive but it's a possibility I think 
the the what's what's really happening is you've got like uh, this is the denial stage of uh, some of these people's grief and the, the you know coming to grips with the fact that like this isn't going to go the way we hoped it was going to go or maybe we thought it was going to go to because of our pet theories or whatever like um I, I think it's more of that but Maybe, maybe some of them are, are at least interesting to talk about. Uh, but there's one in particular that went in the was in the feedback and I've seen going around Reddit is that John uh, shouted "Go" during his final confrontation with the dragon, which mm, like gave, a Pokemon, which gave no, 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 which gave Arya a split second to sneak past the dragon because there's a lot of people that's that's problem with Arya killing is the fact that she yeah. they want the assist from John. Yeah, they want to somehow, they're like, okay, somehow the one of the princes or princesses that were promised need to get involved in here, and they're looking for a way. Um, I, you know, I there's a couple scenes that I rewatched to verify some feedback. First of all, I think this is just not... Is it in the subtitles? No. Okay, well, I think that's your answer. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was intention, intended. It's, no. I just, okay. I'm sorry. That's, Sub- subtitles are pretty definitive, I think. That's certainly wishful thinking. Uh, but then, we'll, you know, some of these other Night King kind of reboot theories we, we'll, we'll talk about in the fullness of time. Uh, Charlie F. has a point. Um, I want to bring to light another book call out in this episode, just like last episode of The Jenny of Old Stones. When Leanna Mormont has her last stand with the giant having a blue eye, because he's a white, I feel like the focus on his eye was a hinting to the blue eye of McCumber legend in the books. Nice little touch of Westeros theology. I have never heard of this story. Well, this is funny. This is a funny story because uh, when Anthony and I were writing the books, we were like brainstorming like all the different connections as we were breaking, kind of like breaking each chapter, and we were doing the one on the the Night King and the others, and like the relations to North mytho- mythology. And at the time, if you recall, we had just played through like God of War, mm-hmm. which is all about like a tour of the Norse mythology, and you you, you know that there's um uh the 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 legend is there's this particular giant that died and like the world is formed from his corpse and there's like a level in god of thrones where you're not god of thrones uh <laughs> god of war uh where this is all very confusing with the naming right where you're where you're like traversing through this giant's body and into his skull yeah. and all that stuff and how that like and me and uh, me and Anthony like oh that kind of ties into the mccumber theory which we had uh turns out we we had the, you know the moment where people like find out Berenstain Bears is spelled differently than they think, and right. instead of thinking oh I was wrong, you actually envision an entire universe where all these we had because like we swore that this was something that had to do with the books, and it was a sly reference to Martin, who himself has blue eyes, like that this is all contained within a giant, so this all came out of his head, and I started like researching, it, and I realized that it was all bullshit. Like, there's one line in the show where they talk about, like, I think it's Tyrion and Jamie talk about, like, oh, maybe the world. And there's none of that in the books. George Martin has brown eyes, not blue eyes. Like, everything that we were starting to build this theory on was completely based on bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not making fun of you, Charlie. I'm just sharing in your. This sounds like the gaffe that we made uh, last spoiler podcast. Yeah. Uh, confusing the names of people, right? Like, oh, well, you, you take a piece of information, you run with it, not realizing right. the the root of that information is flawed. Right. Yes, and exactly. Then, and then you extrapolate all these different worlds right. that could exist. And It's like you remember McCumber, and you, it's just a weird reference from the show, so you assume it must be in the books, and then if it's in the books, huh. then it's like, well, that'd be an interesting author self-insert. And, of course, uh-huh. uh, why wouldn't Martin have blue eyes? He's... I don't know. I can't remember ever seeing his eyes. Uh, he's a squinty kind of guy. But yeah, no, it's all bullshit. Hmm. So 
Uh, you, you, that, uh, that, uh, just, just wanted to put that out there in case anyone else has that brain worm. Uh, okay, Matt M., during the long night, where were the Knights of the Vale? I didn't see them or Jan Royce on the battlefield. Do you think they're kept in reserve, which might have made sense? Have them hidden in a short distance from Winterfell when the Night King forces were engaged <laughs> the castle's walls. They oh. come around and attack from the rear. You, you mean somebody with a cavalry knows what to do with cavalry? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Royce was in episode two, so I assume they're still around. I mean... You saw them on the battlefield. There was tons of those shields with the the the, the bird, mm-hmm. uh, the the hawk, the 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 eagle um, sigil of the of the veil. Mm-hmm. So they were there. It's just they weren't on horseback for some reason, or maybe they were like in the middle of the Dothraki crowd. They just like you know fought in because yeah you know. they got they got swept up in the fervor too yeah. and just or maybe the double D's forgot that the veil's actually uh, you know uh, a lot of mounted uh, cavalry. I don't know. Julie J, did you notice what looks like Alice Stark going into the Godswood of the Ironborn? If so, it looks like the Car Starks are also finished, along with the Mormons and Umbers, and we assume the Glovers. Even the North is, even if the North is given independence, there won't be anyone left. That would be a funny mm-hmm. thing if the succession thing is solved by Danny letting uh, John be the the King of the North, and he has like three people: mm-hmm. it's him and Arya and Bran and Sansa. Yeah, so. Um, no, I, I actually watched this scene too, and I think I know maybe a person or two you could be talking about, but it's dark and it's hard to tell, and it's, it's a, a scene in motion, so um, I don't know why Alice Karstark would be fighting with the Ironborn, um, but I also think we're to understand that, yeah, the North is just fucking, I mean, decimated, is that's just killing that's one out of ten, yeah. it's like... Uh, ninth-amated, <laughs> right. uh, it's like 90% of the people have been, are, are dead, and... You know, I think it's because uh, people are like, oh, what do you do without these great houses? And like, well, there's a precedent because it's pretty clear that like in the other long night, this happened again. And all these houses that are of like great renown, like the Stark. I mean, who knows? They uh, all, all these great houses could have been like cadet branches of the Starks or like maybe even the Starks from that big. These, these are all just a bunch of like loosely affiliated first men kings band, banding together children of the forest. And they later became the Starks and the Glovers and the Umbers. So... You know, give them a few thousand years. Uh, maybe they'll get into skyscrapers and they they'll invent democracy and they won't have kings and queens anymore. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I, it's it's I I don't I don't know how much they're actually going to give weight. Like, is there any going to ever be a point in a story where like the show itself reflects about like, God damn, ninety percent of North is just gone now. I mean, it's it, I would hope it would be next episode if ever. Yeah. Or, like, maybe a final episode where they deal with... I mean, because there's still some people saying, like, yeah. oh, well, the Double Ds want to pay off Martin's attempts to, like, wanting to know what happened after Aragorn started. No, that's that's clearly not going to happen, right? Is there time to do that? You're not like, going to get a 60-minute episode of just Queen Daenerys' tax policy and how yeah, she integrates... I, you would need a whole other season for that. The remaining Northerners and Wildlings and Dothraki into some united Northern culture. It's, it's just... well, what about a flash forward? What about a thousand year flash forward? There you go. And we see what what the the tree that the roots of Danny have grown. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. That, that seems like a bad way to take the series out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could. I I thought about something really funny to say, but. Uh... It would involve spoiling in game, and uh, uh, that that tends to get people salty. The first uh, with that not even out for a week. Yeah, uh, let's move on to Albert H. Is the downfall of the Night King, uh, or I'm sorry, in the downfall of the Night King, he and his generals scattered into ice cubes, and it seems all the whites just collapsed. 
if I remember correctly, Viserion also crumpled into a heap. Would there be a possibility in future episodes that they would harvest materials from the Ice Dragon? How badass would it be to have Arya in some awesome Ice Dragon leather armor? How many swords and dagger hilts could be made from the Ice Dragon bones? The possibilities are endless of what you can create from that dead dragon. Let me ask you this. Which do you think is sturdier? Uh-huh. Dragon ice or dragon glass? Probably dragon glass, right? I, I would think so, yeah. Because I mean, you can take dragon glass into the heat. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> dragon true. Dragon ice, just, true. it'll just melt. Yeah, you just need to be a room temperature to defeat that. Yeah, shit, my armor's melting again. I gotta get in the ice box. This does sound like some kind of weird Skyrim uh, mod. It really does, yeah. Right? Uh, like, let, let Arya wear ice dragon armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, I this mean, was shit, a- man. Bethesda should just f- freaking make a Game of Thrones game. I'm surprised. That could be amazing. I'm surprised there haven't been more Game of Thrones video games. There have been got- attempts, but they're not great. Yeah, and then it's like the Telltale stuff, which is essentially a storybook, yeah, you yeah. know, choose your own adventure. And there's been Those a couple mobile apps, I think. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, why can't we get uh, Battle of the Five Kings? I think it'd be awesome. I've mean, spawned several really excellent board games, I thought, but like, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like there should be a real-time tactical or strategic thing or something like that. But uh, Vanessa W., I'd started a draft last week of a comment I had about Danny, but after episode three, I'm just throwing up my hands and saying, what the F? Arya kills the Night King. We have all that build-up about Jon's parentage, all the references to Azora High, all the deaths of characters like Jojen Reed and Shireen, and for what? Nothing? Rhaegar's belief that he needed a third child to be the head of the dragon, that he needed to father the prince that was promised, leading to Robert's rebellion, and ultimately the downfill of so many great houses was for nothing. All the lore from Gurm's books just gets thrown out the window. Uh, we know nothing about the Night's King's motives, but apparently that's not important because he was some meaningless bad guy. Um, I think we talked about this in the Kim Renfro interview, but like, I, if not, this is an off-air conversation we had where she pointed out, it's like, okay, pump the brakes, it's not that this didn't matter because without Danny and John, mm-hmm. Arya would not have the chance. Like, so if you want the like by our powers combined, if not for Arya, if not for Bran, if not for John, um, none of these things would have occurred in the same place to allow Arya to strike with her knife. So they've already True. been our powers combined. They just happened over the previous seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 a fine take if you want to step back and be like, okay, it's not as bad as we all think. Um, but then Katie had a, there, uh, had some interesting ideas of how maybe with a little bit of dialogue in the next episode that this could be a little bit more lore um, happy or lore friendly. She says, do you think the dagger will play the same role in the book? She's talking about the cat's paw dagger that Bran got and then gave to Arya. Mm-hmm. The path of the dagger is probably one of the most success- successfully executed aspects of the story that weaves throughout the entire series. The mirroring of the knife sent to Bran or kill Bran being the knife that saves Bran is great. The fact that Littlefinger uses the knife as a linchpin that he pulls to start the whole War of the Five Kings and is ultimately executed by that same knife for his crimes is very satisfying. It would certainly bring uh, make sense if this is how it goes down in the books. But the last we hear of the knife in the books is uh, Cersei, Tyrion, and Jaime have come to the conclusion that Joffrey sent it to kill Bran, um, parenthetically to impress his father. Of course, this doesn't necessarily make it true because we don't get hard proof. Do you think the knife ultimately has the same greater meaning in A Song of Ice and Fire and have the D- double D's credit to the path of the dagger to Gurm? And I have one more email the chains off this one to make it e- even more awesome. But if you if hmm. you want to stop and comment here, that's cool. 
Uh, let's let's hear the the extension on it too. So Jenny's contribution is I have a, a gr- I have to share a great book theory that could possibly play into the show. There is a theory that the Valerian dagger is actually all that's left of the sword Dark Sister, which was one of the famed Targaryen blades. You have uh, Blackfire, which is the main one that Aegon wielded, and then his warrior sister uh, Visenya wielded Dark Sister. Hmm. As you might know, Visenya is Arya's hero, and she speaks. Uh, uh, speaks of her when talking to Tywin about when she was his cupbearer. Not only is Arya truly the dark sister of House Stark, but also she's the, la- the last known whereabouts of the blade uh, was that it was owned by Brendan Rivers, who, of course, is the three-eyed raven that trained Bran. And I first thought, like, when I got these emails, I'm like, ah, the, a dagger? Like, we're talking hmm. about, like, a, like I don't think... Um, dark sister wasn't a great sword, but it's like a hand-and-a-half type of bastard sword. It's like, how the fuck you get a dagger out of that? But I remember what they did the Ned Sword Ice. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like, I was thinking, like, what is it, like a broken sword, like that Narsil sword from Lord of the Rings that gets. Oh, like, you just like yeah. cut a piece of it like, off. There's a no. shard of it, but like. Yeah, you can melt it down and yeah, reforge you could it. Reforge yeah. it. Or even if it is like a shard, I'm thinking, like, will it have this big. But no, they could take the hilt off and just work that into a new blade. If you're, if you're looking for kind of like overarching, if you want to tell yourself a story of how all this stuff matters and is more connected. Yeah. Uh, there, I think there's a nice little plot there. And I also think there is a small chance that maybe there will be some reflecting of that in this mm-hmm. next kind of, I'm assuming this next episode is going to be like a pause to catch your breath to set up the next epic thing, the, the, the Southern War type of episode. Maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I think certainly the first part of, of that duo of emails I 100% agree with. I think this this knife has been you know a key pivotal uh played a, a pivotal role in the entire series so far uh and it's kind of impressive how they've woven that through the story yeah um i think it's even cooler if it turns out to be that you know brendan as as this previous three-eyed raven is doing this multi-generational sort mm. of uh, scheming you know he's putting the dagger in the right place to where it needs to be uh maybe not you know physically or not with his own hand, but he's maneuvering things, sort of like Bran maneuvers things mm-hmm. to get to the end point that he sees. Uh, I think that's even cooler. And if they can do something to kind of tell us that through Bran in the in the show mm-hmm. in the next few episodes, then that would be awesome. And that's the thing, because, like, you know, there's also theories about the Three-Eyed Raven has been at work for almost a century trying to guide the Targaryen dynasty to the, to, yeah. to the point that they would be able to produce you know, the prince that was promised and also the maneuver of this new three-eyed raven in his place. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff there. The problem is, like, I can see all these pieces laying on the floor, but I'm not going to pick them up and put them together for Dan and David. No, they like, have to do that. They, like, because otherwise, they just, they're just kids playing with toys and they threw them down on the ground in an interesting pattern, you know? Like... Sure. Like, the show... Like, and it's, it's so weird because there's a tension between, you know, we're always saying, well, we prefer when shows show, not tell... But sometimes you got to tell. Sometimes you got to pat yourself on the back and say, like, oh, look at this smart thing I did. Yeah, but showing is also telling yeah. in, in most circumstances, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they're both conveying information. Right. It's just how you convey that information. And right. so far, they haven't... They Well, they have tried to convey that first piece of information, but mm-hmm. not the, the theories that we're talking about right. in the second half of that. Right. I mean, because, like, a, you know, the fact that this dagger started the war... Yeah. Uh ended the great war killed Littlefinger. it's awesome i love it. <laughs> it it's it's awesome but like again i think the show if if they intended that they need to kind of like 
take their hat off and, and wave it around a bit. So, mm. or else okay. there's going to be the. I mean, if you have to get all this shit from an insider article, then the vast, vast majority of the people uh, are not going to see it and appreciate it. You know, but if you have to read this on a Reddit post, you know. Did- did we need to though? I mean, I, I thought it tracked pretty cleanly. Does like, average... this dagger? This dagger is a very recognizable but weapon. But you say in that because you host a podcast where we've been Pro- talking about probably, it for weeks, or probably. you know, so like like you know, we've got one of the bigger podcasts on the planet, but uh, for Game of Thrones, but it's still like not even a percentage, one percent of the total fan base from last season. You know, so, right? So for like, Game of Thrones, certainly, yeah, I do think that. Um, uh, it, it should be a little bit more accessible. And they, they just needed a throwaway line. They needed, like, maybe uh, this would be super cheesy because I'm not a great filmmaker, but, like, a, uh, a cascading, like, Sixth Sense-style flashback right as Arya's slow motion jumping through the Night King of, like, uh-huh. the first time we see the... De- de- and it getting pulled from Cat's hands, and then it's here and there and is given here and uh, like ha- or, track or, or like seeing brand's vision seeing as he realizes what's happening yeah, maybe through his vision like like all like yeah yeah you could, you could certainly do that you could do something like that and with Romain jawadi's music and the 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 loving care that the filmmaker like i said i think you could do something that would then make it from the one percent of the one percent of the one percent enjoying it to like oh the vast majority of the fan base is, is going to roll in and be like hot damn that fucking and dagger was dynamite how brilliant that they they weaved all that through there uh okay let's move on uh tiang m for years now the general reaction of the white walkers or i'm sorry the general reading on the white walkers is that uh the dead and the dead is that they're a metaphor for some impending global doom for example climate change coming to wipe us out while we're all too busy with our petty squabbles to do anything real about it but I think with the way the Double Ds chose to end the Night King and his horde, Game of Thrones starts to ask another question. What are the prophecies and religious hype around mythical figures like Azora High and the Last Hero prophesied to single-handedly save the realm were the real distraction? White or white, and this is a, this is a text joke, it doesn't work. And on uh, you know homophones don't, don't work. Yeah. versus WI exactly. Okay. There you gotcha. go. They're they're white noise, if you will. What if both sides are equally distracted? One is too busy playing the game to realize the apocalypse is on them, while the other is too busy dis- dissecting theories and prophecies about who will sit or stop the apocalypse instead of actually doing something to try to stop it. It's a Germian subversion. All your fan theories and dissecting of prophecies from books old and new and putting faith in the mythical ideas got the living nowhere. What actually saved them was a pragmatic badass warrior that spent the last seven seasons training with the world's greatest fighters, picking up a Valerian steel dagger and saying, not today. What do you think of that, Jim? Mm-hmm. I I suppose that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird because, you know, Arya is not just like this conventional badass fighter. She's mm-hmm. not a Jamie Lannister. She's essentially a magical being at this point right <laughs> so you so you look at that and say well okay are are, are is there really a waste of time to try mm. and dissect all these prophecies if there are forces in this world like that uh but yeah i yeah i suppose you could look at it that way i guess it's got kind of the way when i was reading this email i was thinking about the people that i'm sure we all know hell i'm one of them that we spend a lot of time thinking about and learning new things about climate change or like we're not happy with the political realities we're facing but are we doing anything about it you know like 
sometimes like uh, all that intellectual kind of masturbation that, that kind of leads to this weird apathy can be just as and like whereas a person just being like you know what fuck it I'm gonna do my part I'm gonna you know like dr- I'm gonna take this direct action I'm gonna clean up my corner of the street or I'm going to hell I'm gonna start taking my cans recycling it doesn't really matter but if everyone did that it would certainly matter and the fact that not everyone's doing it is the reason that everyone doesn't do it so I, yeah I, I think it's a little different here because yeah. it does take it, it kind of takes the heroes, and if you want to say, okay, well, the heroes are the people, analogous to the people in our world who are in a position to actually do something about this, right? Government it, leaders, yeah. uh, right. Uh, executives at companies who are you know actively destroying the planet, things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, th- then you can you can look at the common person in Game of Thrones or our world and say, yeah, it, it doesn't actually matter. And no matter how many of us were out there, like, taking a sword to a single white, right. it would never matter. Right. Because more whites are being made. It really takes those heroes, those people who are in a position to do something about it, to step up and kill the Night King. Yeah. Right? Like, you've got you've to fix the problem at its root. You can't simply say, well, I'll pitch in and do my part. Right. You you do have to do I that, sta- but you I also have to white. have. I stabbed right. my white. All right. How many whites have you stabbed today? Oh, right. three. I got uh-huh. four. Right. Meanwhile, Arya can stab them all. Yeah, <laughs> with with one stab. Uh, right. So, GM, the CEO yeah. of GM, could could stab like seven percent of the world's whites for sure. He chooses not to. He does. Or she. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, you got to wonder why. Why aren't they doing that? You Mm -hmm. know, you look at the oil executives. You look at any of the, like, you know, like, there's a stat that, like, uh, 47% of the world's pollution comes from, like, the top 100 companies. That makes sense. Those 100 people could end half of the pollution. I mean, obviously, they couldn't completely end it without destroying the economy. But... I don't know. I mean, they're the Arias in this situation. What they're just picking picking their teeth with them, Valerian daggers. Uh, this is a very interesting email, Chris A. I first direct you to this tweet sent by Vladimir Furtick, the actor who plays the Night King, that was sent early Sunday morning, hours before the episode aired. I'm not sure if you saw this, but it's a tweet where the guy says, um, and again, this is the the stunt coordinator guy who ended up playing the Night King. Says, "How did the Night King change Craster's babies by touching them?" How did he change Viserion by touching him? Mm. How did, what did the Blood Raven say to Bran Stark in the cave? He touched you. Food for thought. Kind of like like giving another subtext of the Night King being like a child molester. Okay, this is weird. It is weird, right? Like it's like uh, he's that he's like, but it it kind of tracks if you want to go with that. Like mm-hmm. this is a this is an evil person touching. And robbing things of their their innocence or their per, their 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 perceived purpose or their potential. Um, uh, it's kind of a pessimistic way to look at the victims of child abuse. That like they're well, they're fucked now. Like, yeah, they're, they're forever be white marked, walkers, but, forever scarred. But it is uh, you know interesting to think about. Um, Chris continues. I like you have questions about what Bran was up to in his work state. I also felt like the Night King's narrative fell a bit flat. If this is truly the last we see of him. I'm not sure I 100% bought the motivations Brand stated for the Night King as the sole motivators. I needed more backstory about the Night King and why he's been on the journey through the season. Plus, I felt like this finality, or this finale, while amazing, was a tad abrupt at the end of the battle in which his army had been so dominant. Well, whether you believe it or not, you kind of have to go with what they put on screen. Mm-hmm. And so far, that is what they put on screen. They may put something else on screen, yeah. something more. I don't know. But so far, 
I take Brent at his word. Right. And I just I just keep on going back to this and and put it back, not to blame German, but to like show that like, look in the books we know much less about the White Walkers than we do in the show, and yeah. there is no Night King, and there is no. It's entirely possible that the Double Ds maybe uh, by by not making decisions earlier in the season, the series to try that. Because, like, again, they had to invent something, right? The easiest thing in the world is to invent a Death Star exhaust port. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an unbeatable thing that's absolutely going to kill the heroes. They can't do dick about it, but it's got a fatal flaw. Like, this mm-hmm. is storytelling kind of 101. It's kind of, you know, you, you, it, it, it's, it's so hackneyed now that you kind of kind of got to layer it up with a bunch of other different things that draw people's attention from the fact that you're essentially pushing a destruct button on, on this doomsday weapon. But it, that's one of the only ways you can resolve these type of like unstoppable insurmountable things you give the humans a smaller scale thing that they can reasonably achieve through great odds and sacrifice because just beating the person in a straight up fight is never going to work um so like i would like to see george do i i'm not even saying this snarkily i would like to see george do better because i don't even know that george has really got like how this is going to work in his mind i think he knows how he wants things to end and how he wants people to react to that ending but like how is john and danny going to beat the night king you know they can't just fly dragons up there and incinerate them all that's going to feel like bullshit i mean (laughs) it's tough there's a reason the man stopped writing books eight years ago like this collapsing this giant fucking story back in and getting it to a singularity that is the finish of the ice song of ice and fire is a really tough challenge that is so far beyond the creator of the damn series himself (laughs) It's easier to write books about the history of the uni- of the universe that he's created. Yeah, uh, fill in some gaps. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got a, another pair of kind of emails that go together. Uh, Olivia M sets it up. I was surprised in the, sh- the past seven seasons that we've been working towards the Battle of Winterfell and somehow ended in the victory for the living with all of our favorite characters, including the big ones, and still intact. The first episode of the series began with the White Walkers, and it's been a huge plot line that's been brewing for the entire series. The Night King plot ends here, then we are left with some holes in the plots that Game of Thrones has been working on for the while. And she mentioned several that we've kind of talked about already. The Zora, a high prophecy. This prophecy is about someone with Lightbringer who ends the Long Night. Arya did not have to kill anyone, nor... Uh, that she loved, nor was a dagger that she used on fire. People have been predicting that John will kill Danny or vice versa, but again, this prophecy doesn't have to do with the throne, but the long night. And Danny's visions, Danny has a vision of the throne room, cover, throne room covered in snow. I guess it could signify John, but in my opinion, it would be a far reach. Okay. So Melissa then comes in with some ideas for how we can make these prophecies still be significant. Uh, she says, if John is the prince that was promised, which the show seems to be leaning into, where is his light bringer? Okay, that's another thing that I don't think we've actually talked about, but that's been a big part of this show. Lightbringer, lightbringer, lightbringer. Where's the fucking lightbringer? We didn't see, like, is the dagger lightbringer? Um, it's possible. I believe in this show's version, his lightbringer is not his sword Longclaw, but a person, his little sister slash cousin, Arya. So this has been a popular hmm. theory that the the... That may be one way to resolve the prince's promise, and you've got two princes and princes, is that one will be Lightbringer, the physical manifestation of the weapon to destroy the White Walker, and one will be the Zora High, the person who, quote-unquote, wields it. Um, and there's been various visions, versions of that, that John is the 
Lightbringer to Danny, the Danny's a Lightbringer to John, the Danny's light dragons are collectively Lightbringers, um, et cetera, et cetera. But here's Melissa's version. John is the one who gave Arya Needle, which caused Ned to decide to hire Serial Pharrell to train her. I know the Not Today line is the most famous, but in episode one through three, or one three, Serial calls her boy. She retorts, I'm a girl. Then Serial said the important thing for this theory to work out. Boy, girl, you are a sword. We go through a tutelage under Yorin and the Hound. We get to Bravos. What was the one thing that Arya couldn't bring herself to part with when she t- was told that she'd have to give up everything from her Stark identity? Of course. Her, her, her face. Oh, that's not it. Her sword. <laughs> yeah. She didn't bury her face <laughs> under a rock, Jim. She buried her sword needle. Obviously. Now, I know the prophecy is about how Lightbringers forged, or how Lightbringers forged is pretty specific. It's tempered first in water, then it's tempered in the heart of a lion, then finally in the heart of Azor Ahai's wife, Nisa Nisa. Arya's first training was water dancing. Well, there's the water. She then had to escape King's Landing and went on to run from the Lannisters, even getting captured by them and escaping again. Uh, from the lion uh but the blade through the heart the only person that's taken a knife through the heart that's currently walking around is john that stab is what allowed him to break the night's watch vows and for him and sansa to be able to take winterfell back Arya had no intention of going to winterfell until she heard john was there Arya loves john just about more than she loves anyone and the very first thing she said to him when they reunited was how did you survive the knife to your heart oof I know this will be different in the books and that the showrunners decided a few years ago that Arya would be the one to kill the Night King for reasons they haven't yet stated. But if one were to, were to need to reverse engineer a good way to make the prophecies, uh, which they've mentioned as recently as uh, uh, episode 702 work, there's a pretty good argument that John is the prince that was promised uh, put his unparalleled weapon to end the long night on her path to be able to bring back the dawn. Wow. Uh <laughs> Again. Not to shit too hard on this. Okay. All right. All but, right. But, but if you're not if you're not on board with them having told a very obvious and coherent story about this blade mm-hmm. throughout the the series, you're definitely not going to follow what they're doing here. Yeah. This is a very convoluted theory. Extremely. It's it's I think it's clean and it tracks and it has a lot of textual evidence, but yeah. <sighs> Again, this, wow. there's a lot of toys here on the floor. Looking at, at the episodes, I mm. would never have pulled that out, which I think is, you know, let's say hypothetically that this theory is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a failure of the show in that case. Yeah. Because I'm not picking up what they're putting down. Especially Sierra Pharrell, you're not a boy, girl, you are a sword. Like, I mean, I like that line, and it does track in the, the theory that you built up here. Yeah. But and connecting it, all those dots yeah. would be very difficult. It's tricky because I want to say to give full credit to that, that Arya would have to refer to herself as a sword or someone else would have to refer to her as a sword a couple other times in the series. But there's a fine line between for, foreshadowing and giving away the, the plot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like even some really clever twists that like George put in this series very early that people eventually guessed like the fact that John is actually a secret Targaryen. I mean, that stayed fairly well hidden for a long time before it became accepted as the Mm -hmm. capital T truth. Um, And then that was really fucking subtle. But like, once you get again, a million minds pulling these things over. So I don't know, but, uh, but, but then them's the breaks. Like, I don't think it's fair to like bury something in the third episode and then, eight seasons later say ah remember when Sirio called her the sword that means she's Lightbringer and I mean 
they can do that, but they have to yeah. do a bunch of work in this next episode to uh-huh. have that all tie together. That's the thing. Like with this three stage reveal, you you can keep it subtle for a while, but eventually yeah. you got to hit me with it. I mean, and it, it would, has to make sense. It would be nice to have somebody say, "What the fuck was like?" Anyone like like because you know I'm thinking of like Varys, Tyrion, Missandei, Danny, John. Uh, uh, all of the inner circle has been personally a witness to people talking about the Zora High prophecy. Mm-hmm. Like when Melisandre came and did it, like in front of J- Danny's throne room. Like, shouldn't someone be thinking? Someone say, "Well, like, what the fuck was this all about?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> just have another hearth scene where yeah. they're all sitting around and go. So, which of us do you think was a Zora High? <laughs> right, right. Um, and the, the problem, let them, let them argue over it. The other problem is like because I there's a lot of feedback that I did include involving um, people saying because uh, I think we had a feedback feedback a feedbacker already mentioned this as a throwaway sentence, but like people are saying like, oh, well, the prince's promise was going to be the thing that like united. The person that unites Western, and I'm like, no, that's fucking bullshit. Because the Prince was promised is a thousand year old, thousands of year old prophecy about, mm. uh, or Azora High rather, about like the person who's going to defeat the White Walkers when they come back, when yeah. the Long Night comes back again. Um, like it's not about some petty political thing, right? And if so, Aegon the Conqueror was already Azora High because he united Westeros and kept it together for like 300 years. So. Uh, I, Melisandre just can't let this prophecy go. Yeah, yeah. It's already been fulfilled. She's looking for that second stage fulfillment of yeah. the prophecy. Yeah. I don't know how old is she because there's like theories that she's hundreds of years old. Like, is she okay? I can't tell you right off the top of my head is like if the most popular theories put her pre Aegon. But it'd be funny if she like missed it and she just is, can't get over it. It's like, uh-huh. hey, she she was only like four at the time. But right. She really wanted right. that to be within her right. adult lifetime. Saw her o- o- other sister like accurately call Aegon <laughs> and like you know uh-huh. just can't this is stuck in her craw. Should have been me. Um, okay, Matt has a couple questions for us. Do you think that the person who kills the Night King was one of the bullet points from Gurm? I can't imagine that wouldn't be the one of the main plot points that he left up to the double D's. I don't think it is. There is no Night King in the book. I don't think, uh, like, George, when they first brought up the Night King, you remember he had a whole blog about, like, there is a Night King in my book, but there's not exactly a Night King, and things are going to be different. But, like, people were trying to, like, read those tea leaves back in the day, but it seems like now that we know everything that's happened, like, that was a pretty strong disavowal. Hmm. Like, yeah, no, this yeah. this part, all this stuff, the white wall, all this, uh, you know, uh, is don't expect to see it in the books. Matt continues, do you think that there's sufficient foreshadowing in the book so far to make this a thematically satisfying conclusion to the Night King storyline? Again, Night King, not in the story, but if we talk about the terms of the others, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm in a no-win situation, because let's say that, that George had intended for Arya to kill the Night King the entire time. I mean, it's not like there's no textual evidence there. It's not like that would be a complete, like, out of left wing, but... Uh, I feel like it probably would be developed better because that's kind of like, you know, George does take a select time and, you know, he can bury things in words a lot easier. He can bury thing in front of, bury something in front of the camera, but he, I mean, he hasn't done it right. He might never like every year, every year that passes from this point forward, I say that the likelihood of him finishing the series drops off like another 50%. So, like, in 10 sure. years, hence, we're going to be talking about fractional percentages of chances of this getting finished. I mean, um, 
Was there enough foreshadowing in the show for this? Uh, Matt continues. Many people have pointed out that the sneaky assassin is what uh, is what Arya spent the last few seasons of the show training to be. There wasn't any any history between her and Dead Dose. Was this still a satisfying conclusion? I think maybe there was a more satisfying conclusion in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that this was dissatisfying. I, I think they have done enough with Arya to make me think that she might be, in fact, the only one who really stood a chance against the yeah. Night King. Uh, it, I saw somebody point out how the Night King had, like, superhuman reaction times right. and, and prowess, physical prowess. Like, I don't know that John could take him in a one-on-one fight, period. No matter whether he's Azor High or he has Lightbringer or not. Even if all he has to do is touch him with the blade? That's... Yeah, I mean, this guy is... We saw how fast he yeah, is, right? Like, mm-hmm. Arya barely, with her stealth assassin skills, got in there and did the job. And, and it was only really with this one move that, you know, came back. It was a nice callback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that, that John can do that. I don't know that fucking Barrett could have done that or Jamie or the Hound or anybody. Yeah, even the last hero... Uh, the legend of the last hero said that he needed like 13 companions plus like all accounts there's this verbiage about all accounts agree that it was their alliance with the children of the men uh, Mm. children of the forest that kind of like swung the tide of the battle so like you needed a you needed a village to defeat the the first time plus you needed to ally with a bunch of mystical tree-based warlocks and witches so Uh and Arya is as close as we have to that now sure well except for Bran yeah who, uh, who helped, I think. Something. He gave, he gave him the only weapon he has, which is the stare. It would be nice. Like, I I would laugh out loud if someone in the f- a future episode accuses Bran of doing nothing, and he does, like, that Leonard Demoy, like, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, that, he can just, like, I was like, my eyes were milky white the whole battle. Yeah. Are you sure I did do nothing, John? <laughs> John, whose who's dragon this, uh, reared uh, up for uh, no fucking good reason, sort of biting your head off. John, oh, I did nothing. Oh, okay. And then okay. Sansa says, God damn it, Bran, you uh-huh. never help with the dishes. And he says, don't I? Yeah. And his eyes roll back. Right, right. How do you know your scullery maid would have done the dishes tonight had I not, had not been for my uh-huh. influence, my guiding hand? But, but yeah, I, I do think there are more, potentially more satisfying arcs out there for other characters, yeah. uh, being the, the killer of the night king but i did not have a problem with the way they went yeah i mean like i said i think that most people are disappointed because they want because george has talked a lot of shit about tolkien specifically for this like having these faceless ultimately evil no shades of gray no shades of light like or no shades of black or just shades of gray is what i'm trying to say um and the show did not subvert that part at all like the night king Mm -hmm. died a uh, more or less uh, a, a face of e- of evil with a per- stated purpose to just destroy everything that's light and warm and living about the world. And, and you know, to the... We, we have emails here that speak to this. Uh, people, I think, are dissatisfied that there wasn't more to the Lightbringer stuff, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. more to the Azor High prophecies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't blame them for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, say what you want about... It, maybe it'll be different in the books, but right. in the show, they made a lot. They made a big deal about the prophecies. Right. You can expect that people are going to want to see how those prophecies came true. Right. And if they subvert that part yeah. of it as well, 
Yeah. You're going to have some mad people. I mean, it's, I get it's, it. it's expectations, right? The reason yeah. that like No Man's Sky was panned, like if that thing just came out right. for 20 bucks on Steam with no fanfare, people would be a holy fucking shit. Look at this. It's the new Minecraft. Yeah. And, and I bet they'll expand on it. And this is going to be awesome someday. But when they promise the moon and mm-hmm. give you a moon rock, people get pissed <laughs> when, when George comes out and says, you know, yeah, Tolkien's great and I don't want to take anything away from him, but yeah, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And you look at Tolkien and be like, okay. Sauron didn't want to destroy all of humanity. He wanted to. He was jealous of he, him and his his the god before the boss before him was jealous of the creative powers of God and wanted to create their own race of people to prove that they could do just as good a job and rule over them. It's 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 a one to one. You know, I know Tolkien says this was an allegory, but it's kind of a satanic allegory, right? Like that is a lot more rich than what we have with the Night King because the mm-hmm. orcs say what you sure. want, the orcs they had culture, they could speak. Mm-hmm. They had desires when Sauron wasn't there with the lidless wreath flame eye and the whip. They had their own devices and their own games and their own sport. Like, that's better in every way than what we got with the Night King and the White Walkers. Now, the books, George could pull this out. Like, he could have a completely nuanced and, like, super... Like, we, we've talked about it in ad, in ad finitum uh, on this podcast about all the different possibilities of shit. I wrote a book with a couple chapters in it uh, with, with Anthony about some of the things that the, the Night King or the others could be getting up to in the books, but on the show, not so much. So you mentioned how in the books there's far less information even than right. in the show about the White Walkers. Um and and no Night King at all. Do you think that there's a bigger hurdle to jump here for for George to embed some of that information to make their ending more meaningful? I mean, is it going to take a lot more uh, groundwork being laid in these next two books? Well, because like you know, that's the thing with him being a gardener. He hasn't gardened a shit. Like this 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 thing has not even sprouted yet. Like we don't yeah. like like. Let me tell you things in the show we know about the White Walkers are not in the books. The White Walkers are capable of making symbols. The White Walkers. <laughs> that basic, huh? The White Walkers can create, uh, have to create uh, themselves by uh, steal, stealing children or having children donating, and then the Night King touches them, they turn. Mm-hmm. The fact that the, there is a Night King, the fact that the Night King was created by the children of the forest, by Shove, like all those things are things we do not know in the books. That's what I mean. It seems like there's more work to be done in the books to have that kind of nuanced, satisfying ending yes. than there was even in the show and they didn't do it in the show so there's like on the pro side there isn't all that like things that george would have to like you know he's not he's not restricted by the same rules in the show so all those things about the night the night king and the origins of the white walkers like he come up with something that Mm -hmm. has built in better mechanics or could tie in better and you know also he can just uh, so so he's he doesn't have any of that stuff to hold him back but also he's five books into a seven book series Mm -hmm. And we really haven't learned anything more about the White Walkers since, like, book two. Hmm. So it is, um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, he's, he's got some pros. He's got some cons. But, yeah, it's, it seems like fleshing this out and, and doing what he set out to accomplish, which is, like, like outdoing Tolkien at his own game with his own world building, uh, is, 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 a, is a big task that he has to set out uh, ahead of him. Uh, Patrick M., what will happen to the Night's Watch now that the Night King has been defeated? I'm assuming that the Night King has gone forever from Westeros, uh, having slain, uh, been slain by Arya at the Battle of Winterfell. Do we know if all the Night's Watch men came back with Dolores Ed, uh, Dolores Ed rather, to defend Winterfell, or do you think that some remained at Castle Black, each watched by the sea or the Shadow Tower? Oh, I would say dereliction of duty if they didn't come back with Dolores. Right, right. Because you're not helping 
up at the wall anymore. Right. I think they actually said that. That was a direct quote Did in the they? first episode okay. that, like, there's no, you know. Yeah, no point in being a Castle Black. Yeah. Um, so do I think, so if the White Walkers are gone. Although, do they, let me ask you this. They left from Eastwatch, right? Yes. So they wouldn't even have had time to go back to Castle Black to say, hey, we saw this wall fall. Hey, the dead are on the march. Let's go. No, but like there's ravens. ravens They they don't have any pocket ravens. They're not. (laughs) But Eastwatch is a fully equipped castle with a maester of its own. And yeah, absolutely. They could send ravens. The the castle didn't come down with with the wall. I mean. I I I, had, I I couldn't tell you. I didn't yeah. look at the scene again. I, I think it's likely that, like, with the wall collapsing and the fact that there are, like, it, it'd be like, you know, we have cell phones, right? So, like, this happened in our world. You'd be like, well, they would just send a cell phone. And someone's like, well, can you prove that there was functional cell phone? Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> s- settle down. They got it, ravens. The ravens will work. It will be hilarious, though, because the ravens will take a while. Yeah. So, they'll just roll up after the battle's already fought and won, right? Right, right. And they'll be like, man, what happened here? right. Um. So yeah, no. I now whether Night's Watch disbands. There's that's been a you know just even last week we considered several ideas of what might become the Night Watch or you know maybe it becomes a whole uh uh uh, uh like maybe the Night's Watch becomes like uh, uh an official standing army for the Seven Kingdoms instead of everybody having their own lords like the night that's now the guardian of the realm like they actually mean it like we are. A force, but that's like that. They, they, they meant go it from, a thousand years ago. They'd go from an apolitical force to an explicitly political force. You know, like that's the whole th- tension okay. of Night Watch is they have a, you know, large, impressive army and a, lands of their own and a bunch of fortifications and castles and this giant wall, but they're forbidden to partake in the political and military affairs of the other kingdoms. Like once you go up there, it's like all you can be, all you can do is guard the wall. Um, and that's it. So like, but I mean, shit. So, so are you, are you saying that Sansa's is not going to get her wish about the North being independent? Well, I mean, the North has nothing to do with the, maybe the, Oh, that's, that's the way to go. John and, and John and Sansa just build a wall at the neck. <laughs> it's a shorter and they, wall. And they take the wildlings <laughs> that don't like kneelers in the South and they take uh-huh. the, and they'd say, okay, your new, your new job is to guard the chillness that is the North. <laughs> We want to be, we want to have our chill society. It's not crazy up here. Down south, they can do whatever the fuck they want. So, but yeah, no, I, why do you need the Night's Watch? If the Night King is dead, the yeah. White Walkers are dead, and the wall has fallen. You shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, in fact, it's, it's like, there's a lot of theories that say that, like, now that the, if the Night King is truly dead, the seasons should normalize because Martin said there's no uh cosmological or planet you know geographical reason that this stuff is happening it's all magical so like if he the the forces of winter have defeated maybe you have traditional seasons and the wall will start to it's just continue to collapse and melt into nothing i don't know planning is gonna be so much easier yeah yeah you just know like hey you got uh, three months to Mm -hmm. plant and three months to harvest or three months to grow and three months to harvest and three months to you know chill in your greenhouse then the winters won't last generations anymore all right, Michelle, could I please pick your mind on some major plot holes? Mainly, how did the wooden box? How did a wooden box keep a very violent white walked locked in all the way to King's Landing, but the near dust and bones of dead Starks managed to break through stone coffins? <laughs> Do you think it's because the whites are the proximity of the Night King are made them stronger when, the, when they're near the Night King? Okay. We had great minds here. Uh, does he have like some kind of zombie Bluetooth and it weakens after thirty-two meters? Um, <laughs> 
I mean, that's a I, fair question. It, it was is. just the rule of cool on that. Yeah. And then I, I, I did. We even talk about this last season. Is like also wouldn't it be super funny if like this was a Michigan J Frog situation where John brings this corpse down to King's Landing and the, and the Night King just turns him off. Oh, okay. Because remember that's the whole thing that this thing would this frog would sing and dance in front uh, of this one guy, but every time he tried to show throw it on a talk uh, show, the frog would just sit there and be a frog. And I like didn't know about that head. part. Uh, but yeah, wouldn't it be funny if he opens the box and it's just a dead, it's just a dead body? Yeah, and they're like, uh... <laughs> we've seen dead bodies before, right. John. Yeah, we have a we have a we've bunch. made a whole bunch of them. There's probably a few in the black cells right now. Uh huh. Um, moving on, Michelle wonders as John has now fought the Night King and Whites for countless times, and presumably was involved in strategizing for this battle. Surely he knew that riding the Dothraki out like that was sending them into sure death. Um, who, who are they talking about? It says John. John's fought the Night King and the Whites yeah. many times before. Yeah, I don't think John rode the Dothraki out. I think the Dothraki rode themselves they out. They rode themselves out? Yeah. They were on the front lines, and I and they got know. They got gung-ho because they saw their flaming swords. They're like, hell yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. We're going we gonna to end the, the, the... We got this, bros. Yeah. We got this, bros. I, they, they, we're talking about a, a culture that has multiple killings at weddings. They have some bloodlust in them. They wanted to get this battle underway. Yeah, and I mean, look, if you want to believe that the the, the Dothraki did that and then Jorah's like, okay, YOLO, I guess I'll go along with them. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, no, this is just dumb. This is dumb strategy. <laughs> like, I mean, on the it's other hand, It's a little like, of both, I think. Like, John could also say, like, oh, the you know, the army of the dead, like, uh, the, we fought them and we always fought them on foot, so maybe like a cavalry charge and... Maybe it's a horses. The horses needed like dra- be they're they're like they needed armor that was studded with like dragon glass. Yeah, so they could just ride right through and just tear through the armies. Hell yeah! But so, also, someone pointed out that the Dothraki were still using their rocks, which mm-hmm. are just steel swords. Like until Mel- Melisandre set them on fire, they intended to go out there. Like was Gendry like, hey, I I, I know you like your sword. I know you do. <laughs> But we really Jacaro. need to deck it out. Uh, but but you need look. Can I can I interest you in a dragon glass version? It's like nah. Can I interest you in the only weapon that is effective against your enemy? You Westerosi with your straight ass <laughs> swords and your wearing steel armor. Look, we're going to show you how it's done in Essos. Yeah, and just go out there. So yeah, I, with that in that universe, I absolutely believe they get their swords lit in fire, and they just like, oh sure, fuck it, let's do this. You know what they needed is they needed that uh, contraption that Ash builds an army of darkness with uh, on the front yes. of his car, yes, just his spinning blades of dragon glass. Yes, that would have that would have cleaned up. Yeah, if only we had a Hodor still alive, he could he like push twirl like a car. thirty. Yeah, he could he could be the car essentially, and he yeah. just twirls a thirty foot staff with dragon glass tips. Uh, and finally, how did we see Daenerys wield a sword to fight off loads of whites, but Sansa couldn't even use her little dagger to st- stab a dusty bag of bones? Mm. Um, I think this came out of a conversation with Kim that, like, so- no, no, it wasn't. I was uh, streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash bald move, uh, last night, and there's several people that opined that they were reading. Thing, that, that there was some sort of production cut scene yeah. yeah that there's some notes that they, there was actually several cut scenes and there was like some sans and Tyrion heroics that they cut for time mm-hmm. and i'm like what the fuck because that I, sucks yeah i almost said this but i i was i already knew i was going to be accused from hell to breakfast about nitpicking so i'm like i'm not going to go into the esoteric art of editing but i thought that there was a couple what felt like missing or blown edits or kind of pretty noticeable edits hmm. uh like i said they told the story of 
you know, Tyrion and Sansa deciding to make the last stand. They make their way to ver- the, 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 to recognizable characters we care about to make that f- f- last stand, and then the last stand never happens. And then we cut to them, you know, being victorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, yeah, there was a couple scenes that they cut for time. That makes no fucking sense to me. This uh, this is an hour and a half long. It's on. Put another five minutes well, into it. Yeah, I I don't know what they're yeah i guess they don't have like fucking commercials and stuff and if you're going an hour and a half already it's all budget another yeah 12 seconds is not gonna make a difference yeah and who said like you know uh you know what just take ghost out of last episode boom Mm -hmm. take the three seconds of ghost out pay for a little bit more rubber skeleton time you're good to go like I, i don't know i don't understand yeah um tom or alex rather with three episodes of 80 plus minutes minutes Mimits. Mm-hmm. That's the new way we mark time here on Game of Thrones. Mimits. Uh, with 80-plus Mimits left before we wrap up the story, I've seen quite a few think pieces and even expert YouTubers, including Alt-Shift-X, say that there sure seems like a lot of screen time left for just the Battle of Cersei, the Clegane Bowl, and the fallout or aftermath of it all. It seems like two episodes of that length at best. Uh, some, including Alt-Shift-X, have proposed that we have one or more major unforeseen twists coming and that might possibly still include the Night King coming back or other major characters possibly taking his place and some prophecy-spinning twist. I'm not sure how I could see that happening now or how I'd even feel about it, but giving Game of Thrones punch penchant for subverting expectations, what do you guys think? I don't think that they have a lot of screen time left because I think all the things you listed to make them satisfying are going to... We're going to have to linger on them for a minute. Uh, we have to linger on the Battle of Winterfell. We do, yeah. We still have to get get through the aftermath of this battle mm-hmm. um we th- there, there's just so much shit i think still left to do in this series to make it satisfying as a conclusion to one of the most epic tales ever told in my opinion so yeah. like I, I don't know i we just have a fundamental disagreement on that yeah i mean you could spend uh a good 60 minutes just dealing with the aftermath of the sh- series proper because you have to give people I mean, you can't end on a cliffhanger, which is kind of how Game mm-hmm. of Thrones typically does. Like, it ends on a cliffhanger or, like, a setup for, like, oh, my God, it's going to be great for next season. And you can't do that this time. You have to actually satisfy and explain and give people resolutions. And, and, and not just plot resolutions, but emotional emotion, resolutions. Yes, like, all of that takes yes. time. Yeah, uh, I'm a guy who likes... Uh, the Fly episode of Breaking Bad a hell of a lot. Right. And that was an entire hour that was nothing uh, but delving into the guilt of a single character. Mm-hmm. So, like, they could spend an hour and a half on the the resolution between Danny and John uh, and who's going to be the king and queen. And if it's compelling, that's, and, and they need that time to do it, I'm all for it. Right. Yeah, I... Uh, it's possible that, you know, somehow the Night King comes back because that, that would be that's the horror movie way to do it. Right. You think you beat the guy in the second act and then you go in to defeat the quote unquote real threat. And then the guy you thought you defeated pops out of a pool of lava and he's a glowing red hot skeleton now and he's pissed and he's stabbed some. I mean, it could. But like, I'm not I I am trying to process this by moving the fuck on. Like, this did not go the way I expected, the way many people expected, but it's the way it went down. There are still yeah, yeah. perfectly... Like, I got so many takes. The, like, I, I can't... I think I, I can't remember when I said this, or maybe I said it last time on the stream, but, like, I got... I, I, I There's two takes I don't get. 
the one take that's like I do, that's, that denies there's any problems with the the episode this week, and they say they were fully satisfied and they saw no problems, and everybody's just nitpicking like that doesn't seem intellectually honest. But the other the other side of that dark coin is the people that said after I saw uh, the long night, I'm out on the series. Yeah, I'm like you are not going to watch three more episodes of this show. Like they're long episodes though. They're, they are. They are. It's going to burn an hour and a half of your fucking Sunday night. Uh-huh. I know we're all in a hurry to get to bed so we can get up on Monday and start our shit lives all over again, but an extra half hour might be out of your time budget. I get it. Barry's still going on. That's really good. We're excited about Chernobyl. Like, come on. I know our TV schedules are tight here, but like that seems bizarre that yeah. you would. It's like walking out in the last 15 minutes of Avengers Endgame, you know? Mm. Like, Jesus Christ, you just don't want to. Just don't want. I mean, hang on to see. You don't want to see this through, right? Like, even if this is a vicious car crash, don't you want to just kind of like you know see how fucked up the bodies are going to look? And I, I mean, there's there's a certain point where you're pot committed, you know. And even yeah. if you know you have a shit hand, yeah, you play it out because maybe, right? Because just maybe, yeah. there's a chance. So you gotta you gotta stick with it. Yeah, I mean, then if this, if this was like three more seasons to go, right? But three more episodes, like I just feel like a lot of stuff is hyperbole. And I, if if uh, but any the other thing is like the next three episodes are great and makes it puts a big smile on everybody's face and pays off a lot of the character moments that we actually care, you know, that that everyone universally cares about. Um, then this might be remembered as just yet another road bump and a kind of bumpy last three seasons of the Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think that's probably more likely than this is completely shitting the bed, honestly. Like, to come up with something that doesn't satisfy anyone, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Thomas O. I sat here watching this last week's episode, and it struck me that two of the biggest Lord of the Light parishioners fall as their purpose was fulfilled. As far as I could remember, there was three people that were brought back to life uh, by what the show has you believe the Lord of Light. Beric, Melisandre, kept alive by a necklace, and John. Is a stretch to think that John is not meant to be to end the show on the Iron Throne, but instead is being used by the Lord of Light to help usher in the next queen slash king? So, uh, he, so he's Lightbringer? Yeah, he's well, the sword? I, mean, I think what, the the, what Tom's is saying is like if his purpose was to defeat the Night King, why doesn't John stop functioning? As if he's like a like like the the same way that Barrack ran out of his Barrack juice right at the time where Arya after he protected Arya, and the same way Melisandre <laughs> ran out of her Melisandre juice after the battle. Like. I mean, hmm, that's an interesting way to frame it. Barrack got stabbed a whole bunch, sure, and and keeled over like a mortal and, human would. And the guy who brought him back to life every time died last season. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Melisandre made the conscious choice to take off this necklace, powering her life, and died of old age. To say that they ran out of their magical juice in those yeah. moments, I think, is a little disingenuous. Yeah, especially since they could have told that story. Like I, I said on the pod, like if Melisandre's necklace stopped glowing and she just resignedly pulls it off, like sure, knowing sure, that sure. the Lord of the Light has withdrawn his protection, this is just a formality. But no, she pulls the thing off, throws it aside. It stops glowing several seconds after she does that. Yeah, she made a conscious choice to die there. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think that they ran out of juice. Right. Um, and so I don't I don't know why we would expect John to keel over dead. Uh, I've, I've kind of never understood why people were hypothesizing that. Right. Um, all right. Jessica S. I wanted to hear your thoughts about the scenes in the crypts. I read up on the events that inspired the reigns of Castamere on a world of ice and fire, uh, not being a book reader a few weeks ago. So the fate of House Rain is still fresh in my mind. 
One thing that surprised me while reading about it is the massacre of the entire house was at the hands of Tywin in his younger days when his father Titus was still Lord of Castle Rock. Um, House Rain offended the Lannisters by not promptly repaying their debts, so Tywin marched on them. The Rains tried to backpedal to no avail and take shelter in Castamere, which is a fortress that's almost entirely underground in the many mines that the Rains had emptied of uh, silver and gold. Hmm. Tywin seals the entrances to Castamere and then floods the halls. All the men, women, and children of House Rain then drown. The parallels between this and the crypts at Winterfell give me pause. In both sieges, the weakest of the civilians are taking shelter, and when they think they're in the safest place they can be, secured and secluded, they find themselves trapped in their shelter, powerless to save themselves against an unforeseen and horrible demise. Surely Tyrion knows the story of House Rain all too well, and I'm surprised that he didn't see the catastrophe like this coming. Thoughts? Hmm. Uh, I guarantee Dave and Dan have no fucking clue about this detail. There's no way no. they no. There's no way they read the World of Ice and Fire that came out like what two and a half three years ago. Like I, I yeah I I just think that um they like in like there's a couple of public interviews where they've gotten like some really basic um plot points about Game of Thrones. Like I don't think they read Game of Thrones in their off season. Like I think they're they're fans mm-hmm. and they did poured a lot of time and effort into adapting this work. But like I don't know how much of like. They're not fans the way that we're obsessive fans. Like, I don't think they're buying the World of Ice and Fire. They probably have people read it for them, but the fact that they would pull that out or even be aware of it, I I don't know. And they don't. And Tyrion, show Tyrion doesn't know anything that they don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just think that that's, uh, you know, the fact like like uh, if if because the thing is, if Tyrion were to, like, what would he say? Would he refuse to go down to the crypts? Would he say like, oh no, like it's you know it's safer to be up here with the army of the dead they might flood us down there once they destroy take over kill every last living person in the castle like also what would he say like oh this gives me uneasy and dread because this is just like the fate of the reigns of castamere because then they'd have to sit and explain what actually happened to the reigns of castamere which i guess they could do but yeah i mean if they really want to keep these people safe yeah uh the the only option i think is to put them on horses Mm -hmm. and keep them south of winterfell yeah and if shit goes bad in Winterfell, they just ride south. That's what and they abandon did. Winterfell. That's why the Knights of the Vale had no horses. They took all they the took, horses yeah. of them. They put all the best women and children and old people. <laughs> the best ones. So okay. the ones in the crypt are just like. How did they determine the best ones? I want to know. I everyone knows. That, those are the, they, these are <laughs> if just you, if the, we have to tell you. Yeah, yeah. These are just the know. the malcontents, the complainers, the whiners, <laughs> and that's why Tyrion ended up down there. Exactly. Yeah, he, Tyrion Sansa. Both. Oh, you don't want to be down in the crypts, huh? Yeah. Well, you're not getting the horse then. Down yeah. the crypts. Yeah. They, they they actually cut that scene for time. There was a scene yes. of the Sans and Tyrion both complaining that like, well, if we know we're going to be shoved down the crypts, we would have taken the horses. Yep. They thought they were going to have a role to play. Uh, Lauren W. Do you think that the crypt was broken up, well, she's referring to the white smashing her way out of the grave, to maybe reveal the uh, silver harp? Um, parenthetically, she's talking about... I'll, I'll explain here in this minute. Okay. I'm I have a show no watcher, idea what you're talking about. But spoiler if the books... Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, but I'm a spoiler as far as the books and all the info I can get from them. Um, could this prove that John is a Targaryen somehow? So there's a theory that... There's a lot of these like um, quasi legends and some of the stories that Aunt, old Nan tell and some of the, like the kind of like the myths and legends of Winterfell itself that says because uh, Winterfell is famous for a bunch of different reasons. Um, 
It's built by Brand the Builder, but it also has this like extensive um, uh, glass gardens, like a greenhouse, and that's how like Winterfell feeds its people throughout the long winters because they can still grow like an Olympic scale fresh fruits and vegetables and things. It's not just their larder; they can get like vitamin C essentially. Um, but also, also the castle is kept warm by geothermal heat vents. It's like cleverly right. constructed so this heat from the earth rises. And one of the legends, because they don't know fucking plate tectonics in Westeros, or at least no one but the maesters do, does. Uh, is that there's a dragon, like a like an ancient dragon that's sleeping beneath Winterfell. Uh, so some people have taken that and like this whole R plus L equals J stuff and mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, like how would John prove that he is the legitimate, you know, son of such and such. And one of the ideas to square the idea that there is a dragon buried underneath Winterfell. Um, and this other plot point is that there is some kind of uh, token of Rhaegar's affection buried with Lyanna, perhaps his famous silver harp, perhaps Rhaegar himself mm-hmm. is interred with her. Something that would prove that, like, oh, this was actually an up and up in relationship and not a kidnapping slash rape situation. So, if the show had laid tracks to that, and like they, and I can't remember if they conspicuously showed Lyanna's like, uh, like Lyanna's tomb is the one's break broken open, and someone was like cleaning up this in the next episode and they found this exquisite silver harp. I I could see it, but I guess more than ever, I don't see how Danny and John just immediately start up their beef about the succession after this thing that they've gone through. Like how the fuck do you go immediately back to squabbling about who rules after you went through the situation where you both saved each other and like either one of you could get died at either point that John's sister slash cousin is the one that ended this all. Like, I mean, how can Danny? Yeah, like, it does seem a little petty. Wouldn't that bring Danny down a notch? The fact that you're you're your fucking largest army and the dragons didn't do shit. I, we needed a little girl with magic ninja training. Maybe she should be queen. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Hmm. I feel you. It's not like they should, you know, turn around with piles of bodies behind them and say so mm-hmm. about that queen king business. Uh, but. It is a central thing that I think needs to be resolved. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if they can immediately have that conversation, but soon they'll have to. And I think Sansa might actually be the one to push on that mm. because you know she she basically was told the North has no chance of seceding essentially mm-hmm. from my Seven Kingdoms. Uh, in in no words, she yeah. was told that. Uh, so she, I'm sure, wants a resolution to that. She'll probably push. Yeah, I mean, so I don't. I actually think Sansa might be even worse because from her perspective, if it wasn't for the North and Winterfell in particular, like the entire world would end and for like sure. a stark yeah. line, you know, like it's like uh, I, I can't even imagine how offensive it would be to have to kneel to a Southern king, like queen as even though Danny had, you know, her her part that she pl- played in this war, mm-hmm. like it would be downright offensive to be like, what the fuck? We did the vast majority of the dying our, for- our our ancestral home was the ground zero for this defeat. Um, our like you know our dead ancestors were fucking uh, turned into abominations during this war. Like we we've suffered a lot and we gave a lot and we were instrumental. There's no freaking way that we're going to go back to being just a vassal. Mm-hmm. Um, so because because that's kind of her thing, you yeah. know. Like what what is like how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? How can I make sure the North is protected? And it's going to be, you know, kind of like we, we talked about the last few weeks. It's going to be John and Danny trying to figure out how to smooth this over in a way that makes everybody else happy. Because yeah. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, I think John is is going to say, "Look, I don't even want this." 
Yeah. And and now if if you and Sansa want to fight over this, like I will try and be some kind of arbiter in the whole thing, but I don't sure. want to be the king. Sure. He's never wanted to be the king. But I mean, the other thing is like it's also a kind of a done story because if he was elect, if he was, well, eh, this goes back to all the other bullshit we always talk about. But uh, if if John was the king of the north, and I think he was, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody elected him by crying "King of the North." That's, that's how kings happen; they get elected. That's yep. how we should, they they just <laughs> they get they get chanted into uh-huh. effect in the great halls of of, of north. Uh, then he's entirely in his power to abdicate to some other sure. power. Yeah. And I would argue he's already done so. And, and and the only ones that could stop that are the great lords that would be like, well, fuck that. We're going to take over and we're going to, and, and I'm going to put my crown, my hand in for the king of the north. And they're all dead, apparently. Yeah. So, like, I just don't see, like, Sansa can say what she wants, but she's the lady of Winterfell. He's the king of the north and he is, he's just the king that knelt again. Jordan T. So how about the army of the living now? We know that they got to be dwindled down to almost nothing. It doesn't sound so good for the inevitable battle with Cersei. Well, I think there may be a backup army that most have forgotten about. We know Elaria is still locked up in the cells of King's Landing, watching her daughter's body wither away. How does that help things? Well, I think we're going to see Yara take what few men she has left and go on a covert Squid Team 6 type mission to infiltrate the Red Keep and rescue Elaria. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were on their way to pick up the Dornish army when Euron burned the fleet, which leads me to believe that there's still an entire army down there. I'm ready to go. We've talked about the Dornish army. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time someone's put forth a plausible theory for how they could be put into action. We've seen Yara pull off similar stunts in her attempts to rescue Theon from Winterfell, and I think it would be a cool callback to Bronn's famous give me ten, ten good men and I'll impregnate the bitch line, because uh, he might even help on the mission. I find it hard to believe that one of the Seven Kingdoms would just be ignored for this final season. Dorne has to have a role to play in the end game here, right? I, I mean, think that could be cool, yeah. Could be cool, but like, I I really wouldn't get your hopes up on it. I don't even know if Yara is aware that Alari is alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I don't think that's the interesting question. The interesting question is if Yara showed up to rescue her, would you be like, how the fuck did she know about this? Like, I think that, like, with spies and intelligence and maybe that you could just assume that she'd find out, found out somehow. Okay. Um, I almost think they have to show that. Otherwise, it just seems like she lied to Theon about where she was going. Yeah. Well, or maybe she, like, got got felt guilty about sitting there. Or maybe she hears that Theon went out like a hero and now is, like, galvanized to, like, do her part. You know? That's what I mean. They have to show something. They right. have to let us know why the, she chooses to, I, to do what she didn't yeah. say she was going to do the last time we saw her. So here's the thing. Yara's not a coward. And her stated goal was to go back. Like, I don't have enough to make... To, to provide any kind of real help at Winterfell, and I don't have any ships to get him there in the first place. What I'm going to do is go back to Iron Islands and take it so there's a refuge, like a fallback spot for the for the, the living and the dragons mm-hmm. where they'll be safe from the Night King for a time that we can, you know... Once the Night King's defeated, then the only reason Yara would have to stay, hang back and not, and, and not do anything, especially when we're talking about the Squid Team 6, like, you know, just give me 10, 20 good men and you can do this thing, would be... Cold feet, cowardice, wanting to test the political winds. Like, I, so I, I think this theory checks out. It's just that, like, look, I would like to encourage everyone that's disappointed in this last episode to declare fan bankruptcy. <laughs> just you could do it like Michael Scott. Just I declare fan bankruptcy, and then just like you got a clean slate uh-huh. and see if you could enjoy these next three episodes on their own terms without any expectations. Because what I see a lot of people doing 
is doubling down. They owe ten thousand to the Fan Theory Casino, and they, so they put it all in black. They put their Fan Theory mortgage, and they're betting it on black. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Declare Fan bankruptcy, and you might be pleasantly surprised. Don't mortgage the Fan Theory house, okay? <laughs> like Don't it. let yourself get. They get radicalized by what the Double Ds are doing to your favorite franchise. Unless you're just out. Unless these people that say they're out are actually out, and I, I wish you guys well. Um, I don't have... I mean, that's not an option for me. I've, I've, I've got a contractual obligation to do these shows at this point. So what would happen if we just stopped? If we did that? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything anybody could do about it. <laughs> there was a podcast that Rage quit like three years ago. Like said that like I, I forget what what point after was, what it was, it was in season was it the, the way they handled Dorn I think it was the, <laughs> it's season after five. season five and okay. they just said you know what and it was one of the bigger ones it was like on a top probably ten twelve podcasts and they said you know we're just we're not going to do this anymore huh um I, I, yeah that would that'd be bonkers but yeah I'm not again just this three more episodes let's mm. you know let's 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 see we'll how it goes that's the podcast uh, thanks for everyone for the feedback. Uh, Again, I encourage everyone to declare some fan bankruptcy, uh, work out a payment plan with your fan theory creditors, and move on with their life and see if uh, they can't get you excited in this next episode. to Because, to, you know, the, after this one, it's the penultimate and then the finale. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's, let's just clean slate this thing. Uh, maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised, and they'll, they'll take all these threads that we've, we've seen that are all over the place that could be picked up and with the right monologue the right set of flashbacks the right brand doing his wide-eyed thing the right scene of sam doing something at the citadel they could actually make it better but let's not expect that let's just you know my now my now modest hope is that uh, we have some some nice resolution between john and danny um something nice for brienne mm-hmm. uh jamie and Tyrion having some kind of thematically uh appropriate either end or end point for their their character to be signed off on the series and that cersei and her crew oh yeah how the the clagane bowl's got to happen yeah my buttons broke but Sa- sansa's got hype air horns all that kind of stuff sansa's got to get something good sansa's got to get something good and cersei's got to be served out finally mm-hmm. uh that's it. I don't. I don't even need it to like. I. I. The, I. The Valencar, get that word out of your fucking mouths. <laughs> get that. Get that word out of your mouths. Um, I can't wait to see like someone twist the word Valencar into meaning like anything. Yeah, Just, a dire wolf. Yeah. Right. Well, uh-huh. it's you know Namiria. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's, uh, how would you prove that Namiria was younger than any other dire wolf pup? <laughs> No they found idea. it sucking on a dead mother, dead mother's teeth. Like maybe uh-huh. Ghost is the runt. You can say that he was maybe, but cut it open, count the rings. Yeah, there you go, there you go. After Namiria dies, they cut her open. <laughs> they count her direwolf rings. They find out that she was the youngest sister of the pups, and that she's the Valencar and a gender bending cross species fulfillment <laughs> of fucking Game of Thrones prophecy. And that's what's going to happen. You heard it here first. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. We'll be back Sunday night for the Instant Take and Instant Talk podcast if you are a uh, club member. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>